welcome to our Celebration Church to our Wednesday night Bible study. Uh, greet all those over at our campuses in Appleton and Stevens Point, as well as those who watch us all over the world on the internet. The uh, warmer it gets here, the smaller the crowds get. Have you, have you noticed? <laughs> you can hardly blame them. That's why we yield. Next Wednesday will be our last Wednesday night uh, before the summer, and we take the summer off. People say, why is that? Because nobody wants to come to church, particularly the pastor. All right? And that's a bad sign. When a pastor doesn't want to come, that's a really bad sign. Yeah, right? I mean, come on. Yeah. So hopefully summer will fall on a Wednesday this year. And uh, we'll be, anyway, so it's all good. All right. We're here to study the Bible, not to play tiddlywinks. All right, here we go. We are wrapping up uh, the letter to, from Peter, the second letter from Peter uh, to the church, chapter three. All right, very last bit of Peter. Here we go. So, dear friends, it is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come. Uh, scoffing and following their own evil desires. Uh, they will say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. So, he is now dealing with the fact that it's been a while. You have to remember, when Jesus said, I'll be back, they thought, he's coming right back, all right? You know, he's going to the, you know, 7-Eleven or something like that. They had no idea. They, not in their wildest imagination did they think we would still be in there. I'm glad the Lord has waited so we could get in on it. Amen. Hallelujah. But uh, no, not a chance. I mean, remember the early church, they sold everything they had. They all lived in a big commune and stuff, say, are we supposed to do that? No. Why'd they do that? They thought he's coming right back. He's coming right back. We don't need stuff, right? I mean, so anyway, so now uh, people are starting to die. They're getting older. Peter himself uh, has said, the Lord has already shown me that uh, it won't be much longer before I'm checking out of here. So there are people who are now mocking Christianity because you guys said he's coming back. Where is he? So he said, so these scoffers are going to come. They'll say, where is this promise of his coming? But they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water, by these waters, also the world at that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. He's talking about the end times here. He's talking about how God brought judgment once before across the whole world with the flood of Noah and he's going to do it again, only this time it will be with fire. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends, and this is really the, the crutch of the matter. Uh, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. There is no time limit on God. For us, this has been 2,000 years. For him, it's been a couple of days. You know, it's, it's just not that uh, controlled by time. Uh, in fact, I'm pretty sure, I, I just got the sense that uh, those who are awaiting the final resurrection and all this stuff in heaven, like my Debbie, 
who died last year. Uh, you get the sense when you read accounts of people who had visions of heaven and stuff that uh, there's not a real sense of time. And uh, it's like they just keep turning around, oh, there's another guy, there's another guy. You know, pretty soon they're going to be turning around and saying, oh, oh, there's, there's so-and-so, and there's, you know, you know, oh, there's Mark, you know, and she can yell at me again. <laughs> but, but anyway, uh, <laughs> I just tease it. Um, and I, I think it's just relatively quick for them. I just, the sense of time uh, is, is just not there. So um, it is to us, we are mortal beings, uh, so it seems like a long time, but he, what he tries to put it, he said, the Lord said he's coming quickly. Uh, he is coming quickly, but uh, from God's perspective, coming quickly. All right, so the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some uh, understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And for this, we thank God. I am glad I exist today. If all this would have ended, none of us would be here. We wouldn't exist at all. As it is, we exist, we've come into the grace of God and we're gonna be enjoying eternity with Christ. How cool is that? I, for one, am glad he waited, you know. Now, being a selfish man, I wish he'd wrap it up. You know what I'm saying? But, <laughs> you know, right, it is what it is. But hopefully, you know, I mean, I don't know, whenever it's done, it's done. Uh, he might be waiting for a lot of people yet to get in on this thing. So uh, God knows what he's doing. He says, but he does warn this, the day of the Lord will come like a thief when you aren't expecting it. The heavens will disappear with a roar the elements will be destroyed by fire. Talking again about this fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Uh, and then, of course, you know, everybody debates about when these things are happening and how it's going to happen. You got the book of Revelations, you got the book of Daniel, you got all these prophecies. Everybody, you know, likes to get into all the weeds and all this matter. Uh, I don't think that's the point of any of it. Um, the next verse is the point of all of it. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. So the point of all of this, every time you read prophecy uh, in the New Testament, even when the Lord was talking about it, they basically say, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, and there's all kinds of gaps. We don't know exactly, you know, what, what are they talking about? When is this all going to happen? But the point of it all, he says, look at what kind of life you ought to live. Be ready. You know, just be ready. Everybody should just be ready. That's the point of these prophecies. It's not for everybody to sit around and bicker about what's going to happen when and how. All right, that day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Hallelujah. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand. <laughs> Hallelujah! Praise God, biblical confirmation that we don't know what he's talking about some of the time. <clears throat> now, he was gracious, uh, I think, here, uh, he said, you know, some ignorant, unstable people distort these things that they don't understand uh, as they do other scriptures to their own destruction. I am certainly not trying to distort anything. I'm just quick to acknowledge I don't know what he was talking about. We have read through almost all of his writings now, 
And the reality is there's a handful of times we get to stuff. I don't know what he's talking. And you read the theologians, they don't know. Oh, they act like they do, where they're jumping through all kinds of hoops. They don't really know jack about this stuff. There's just some stuff. And then finally Peter comes along and says, you know, Paul, he gets in the weeds. You know, really not sure what some of this stuff is about. A little hard to understand. God bless you, Peter, for giving us that break. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard. By the way, forewarned. Warned, 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 warned. Have you noticed, we saw it heavily in, uh, uh, what was the book just before this one? <laughs> No, no. First Peter, and then there was... No! Jude, thank you. Hey, Jude. There we go. It's a Beatles song. Okay, so Jude starts it, and warn, 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 warn. We saw some warnings from Paul, but Jude was like... Okay? And then Second Peter was also... All through this has been warn, 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 which, again, I uh, am one of those who just totally rejects this concept of this easy grace that it doesn't matter what you do. God loves you so much. You could be an axe murderer and still go to heaven as long as you believe in Jesus. Really? If that is the case, what's with the warnings? What's with the warnings? We're going to get into Hebrews. Hebrews is now next. There's some warnings in Hebrews. There's a lot of warnings in the New Testament. Apparently, the guys of the New Testament didn't realize what grace was about. Right? I mean, it's just absurd. So these guys, you know, these young, hip guys, going, oh, there's really no hell, and you can do anything, and grace covers it all, and these new teachers, the cross is so powerful, and, and they basically make, as, as uh, uh, we've read already, a license. Jude talks about, they, they, they take grace and, and, and twist it so it becomes a license to sin. So you can do anything you want. You lust, lust, doesn't matter. Grace covers everything. You want to cheat on your wife? Doesn't matter. Grace covers everything. Your wife might kill you. Uh, you know, all kinds of stuff. It's all nonsense. All that extreme grace is pure, unadulterated nonsense. And I challenge those. Again, we don't get into it big here. Uh, people believe all kinds of stuff with some of these doctrines. But I it just, I don't understand this doctrine that says if you're really once you have Jesus in your heart, you've nothing to worry about. You're getting to heaven no matter what. You just won't be blessed. That's what they say. You just won't be blessed. Man, it sounds more like not being blessed to me. What's with the warning? Who cares if you're not blessed? I mean, I want to be blessed, but good grief. I'm a lot more worried about this than not being blessed. You know? I got a cat who's been too blessed. <laughs> he needs to move on. I know, move toward the light. That's what I tell him. You know, it's terrible today. I thought I left him outside. I did. I thought I left him outside. I really I have no recollection of him getting back in the house. And I couldn't see him anywhere. I thought, good. <laughs> and I turn around and he goes, Row! oh man. I thought an eagle swept in and carried him away or something like that. But... I know it's bad. It's bad. It's so bad. You should save the cat. Call me. He's yours. All right. There, friends, therefore, dear friends, since you've been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position. Wait, I thought we could ever fall from our secure position. Apparently, you can. And if you want to have an argument about it, I'm not going to argue about it. Talk to the hand. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. All right, so that wraps up Peter. It would have been perfect if I could have timed this and wrapped this up. Next week, 
So we're going to leave ourselves hanging. We're going to get into this book of Hebrews and won't pick it up again until fall. But that's fine. All right. So now we get to the next book written is this book of Hebrews or letter to the Hebrews. Now here's the thing with Hebrews. Virtually every letter, and I think all of them in the New Testament, starts out with the guy proclaiming who he is. Paul, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ to the church at Corinth, or James, the servant of the Lord Jesus Christ to those scattered abroad, or just Peter, you know, an apostle of God to, you know. So we get to Hebrews, and there's no opening like that. So nobody knows who wrote it. So they, there's all kinds of speculation about who wrote it. Nobody knows. Uh, most people have leaned uh, towards that maybe uh, Paul wrote it because at the very end uh, he says, I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released. If he arrives soon, I will come with him to see you. Kind of sounds like Paul talking. Um, on the other hand, remember Timothy was a young guy. At this point, Paul, by all likelihood, is, is gone. You know? So Timothy probably gets arrested. He gets out. He says, I will come. Who's I? Nobody. They knew. We don't know. It doesn't matter. It's just we don't know. So anyway. So here's the point with this letter. This one is kind of like the, the, the letter of James. There's two uh, epistles, to use a fancy religious word, in the New Testament um, that are written specifically to Jewish believers. The first one is the letter of James. Many believe that that's the first letter written in the New Testament. And when he's talking about he starts, he writes out, James, the servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. He's talking to Jewish people, the 12 tribes of Israel, Christians. Remember, in the beginning, all Christians were Jewish. They didn't even believe non-Christians could become, or non-Jews could become Christians. It wasn't until settled later when they realized, Oh, I guess anybody who believes can be saved. That was radical to them. You know, and they had big fights about it. It was a big stinking deal. Thank God, you know, the gospel is not preached to all. Um, so uh, Paul, we remember in his writings, spent a lot of his time arguing with Jewish Christians who claimed that we still, everybody still has to obey the Jewish laws. And Paul, in no uncertain terms, said no, no we don't, and uh, uh, was very, very strong about it. Um, and what they wanted to start with is obviously circumcision. If you're going to be a Christian, you have to get circumcised. And Paul said, no, you don't, because they decided, uh, all the apostles got together, all the church leaders, in the book of Acts, Acts 16, 18, whatever it is, and they have this big conference, and they finally decide, no, non-Jewish believers do not have to get circumcised and they do not have to obey the law of Moses. All they have to do is uh, walk in faith uh, in Jesus Christ, uh, walk in the law of love. Remember, uh, if you were here on Sunday, I pointed out, well, last Sunday, Sunday before this last Mother's Day, as we're reading the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, all that's all the law of Moses. We don't technically obey the law of Moses anymore. Say, then we can ignore the commandments? No, because the New Testament teaches that instead of God's laws written on tablets like it was on the Ten Commandments and all the other commandments, there were more than 10. There's a gazillion of them. He starts with 10, 
all right? There's like so many that'll make your head spin. Uh, we don't have to live that. He says, instead of God's law written on stone, it is now written on our hearts. And in essence, we walk in love. Because if you love, you fulfill the essence of the law, is what they said. That was the point. If you love people, you don't lie to them. You don't bear false witness. You don't take their wives. You don't steal. You certainly don't kill them, at least not most of them. Anyway, so you walk in love. It fulfills all of that, right? That's the whole point of, of the whole deal. So anyway, um, so there is this pull back and forth in Paul's writings. At times, you can tell he's writing to the Gentiles amongst them. And then at times, right in the middle of the letter, he'll start addressing the Jewish believers about specific stuff. And, it's just, and the parts that are always confusing to us are the parts when he starts writing to the Jews. Because unless you're really deeply versed in all of this fat part of the Bible, you don't know what he's talking about. Well, we did our best to try to explain it. Uh, so anyway, back and forth. Well, now at this point, there are becoming less and less Jewish Christians. It is becoming primarily non-Jewish Christians. The Jews began to become very offended by the fact that we were ignoring the laws of Moses. And uh, I, 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 I was trying to think of earlier, what kind of analogy could I give to help us even comprehend it? And I, I, I just can't find anything. You know, it's like living in another country, but our reference is the Constitution of the United States. You know, it's a bad reference, but it's the best thing I can come up with. We think in terms of, well, you gotta live by the Constitution, but if you live in another country, they don't give two cents about the Constitution. It's a whole different thing. So it's really much deeper than that. That's why, I mean, these people are, from the time they are born, are drilled and grilled about the law of Moses and the Jewish and the strict laws and stuff like that. And, uh, and it's, by and large, I mean, they, uh, I've been in Israel, I was there just recently, and people still live, especially like the Sabbath. At the Sabbath, the elevators quit working because you're not supposed to work, and apparently pushing a button is work. It's not my version of work, but... Of course, actually, they, they, what the way interpreted, actually, I'm not being fair to them, what they say is God stopped... Uh, releasing energy. Therefore, if you're truly observing the Sabbath, when God rested, he quit exerting energy. Therefore, you shouldn't push a button that's connected to electricity because that releases energy. That's really what they're saying. It's not so much the moving of the hand or something like that. Or, or even putting out lights and stuff. Like you're not supposed to do anything like that. They're just very strict. The whole country is like that. And that's just the country in general. And not everybody over there is strict, observant Jews. That's just the general population. Then you've got the really observant ones. I mean, it's, it gets really intense. Um, so uh, they really struggle, and you can see it in Paul's writing when he's arguing with them. Remember, in Galatians, he got so mad with these guys who wanted to talk about circumcision. He says, I wish these guys would go the whole way and cut their whole wiener off. Is exactly what he said. They translate it, emasculate, but that's what it means. Look it up. How would they would emasculate themselves? He says, you don't want to cut off the end of it? Cut off the whole thing. He was so ticked about it. He just says, the, we don't have to live by these rules anymore. But, if the, but the Jewish believers still did. That's what we kind of fail to realize. The Jewish believers still followed and observed the law of Moses. 
as Jewish Christians. There are still actually quite a few. I, I, we ran into a lot of Jewish, you know, small percentage compared to uh, population overall, overall, but there's a fair amount of Jewish believers in Israel even to this day. And they live as Jews. They observe the rules as Jews and everything else. They just believe Jesus is the Messiah. And there are brothers and sisters in Christ. But they observe the law and still follow the law. Blah, 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 blah. All this to say that the longer Christianity goes on, the more offended, and you could tell they were very offended. Paul talked about it. Uh, a lot of them would uh, make life difficult for Paul and anybody and, and the, and the non-Jewish Christians. They, get, they got so offended at some point they just, they just, as a group of people, decided they didn't want to have anything to do with Christianity. If they're not going to obey the law of Moses, we're not going to have anything to do with this. So they started pulling away. And it, I don't know what the number was. Somewhere about 150 years after the church started, there are then virtually, whatever the number is, no Jewish congregations anymore. Christian congregations that are Jewish. There are still some as of this writing. This writing is to those people. There are still Jewish congregations. They're Christian congregations. They believe in Jesus, they worship Jesus, all that stuff, but they're still Jewish. That's who the book of Hebrews is written to, hence the name Hebrews. <laughs> okay. Now, the point of the book, and it'll get into the, a lot of quoting of Old Testament verses, uh, you know, It'll make your head spin. Um, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, some of it will be familiar to you, but uh, we'll, we're not going to get deep into it. Just the point is they, a lot of Old Testament stuff, they, whoever is writing this to them is letting them know that the focus has to be on Jesus. Even though they have, they're still Jews and observe things, he, he goes out of his way, whoever he is writing this, to point out that Jesus is really what this is all about. And that he addresses the Sabbath in an interesting way. We're going to talk about that uh, and, and some other things. Um, uh, and, and in the beginning, he addresses the idea of angels. Apparently, there was, you know, for some people, they were still struggling with the idea of is Jesus the Son of God? Was he actually God himself? Maybe he was an angel or something like that. So these are the kind of things that he's going to answer. So some of it will make a whole lot of sense to us, but we'll do our best to tie into it. But there are portions of it that are very, very clear and very encouraging to us. Long introduction. <laughs> Let us begin. So no opening, this is who I am or who I'm talking about. He just starts right off the bat. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets. What ancestors? The Jewish ancestors. Right off the bat, you know he's talking to the Jewish people. The, the heathens of the day, the no prophets talking to their ancestors, okay? So we know that God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in various ways. But in these days, something has changed. Something has happened. He has spoken to us now by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through him, and through whom also he made the universe. Meaning that he's not a son in the sense that we think of a son, but was actually God in the flesh, creator of the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact rep representation of his being, 
sustaining all things by his powerful word. In other words, he is God. He's not a son as we think. It, you know, the words get all, the concepts get all confusing for people sometimes. Um, after he had provided purification for sins, talking about dying on the cross, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. He is God. He's not an angel. He's way above an angel in rank. He is with God. He is God. Three but one. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but one. Uh, and then he says, to, to clarify, so, I mean, to which of the angels did God ever say? And then he starts quoting Old Testament verses about prophesying of the Messiah. So he says, to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? Today I have become your father. That's from Psalm chapter 2. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. Uh, you can find this in 2 Samuel. There's all kinds of references. You can chase all these things down and take a look at them. Again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. In speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. But about the sun, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. That's from Psalm 45. A lot of these psalms and scriptures are, that he's referring to, they all knew. And the reason why he doesn't refer to where it is, this idea of chapters and verses was added a long time, you know, thousands of years later. In fact, what was it? How long is it? About 500 years, 600 years before they finally, some one guy did it. One guy riding on horseback rode from place to place. Said, we need to break this thing down because we can't find nothing. You know, whatever it was. Like, I don't know who the guy's name. You can look it up. It doesn't matter. And he's the one guy went and chopped it all up into chapters and verses and stuff like that. So that's why when they're quoting these things, they'll say, it is written or somewhere it is written. You know, in, in a little bit he'll say, for somewhere it says that God created the heavens. Yeah, we remember the beginning. <laughs> Genesis. So anyway. He also says, in the beginning, Lord, you had laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you remain the same, and your years will never end. Again, also from Psalm, Psalm 102. To which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? So he's pointing out that all these prophecies of the Messiah is not in the context of an angel. He's way above angels. So he's setting that up right away uh, to discuss that. And then he says, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Now he says, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we've heard so that we do not drift away. Again, my argument to those who say you can't drift away. <laughs> For since the message spoken through angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment. How shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. Talking about the apostles and, uh, the, the, that were with Jesus at the time. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles 
and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So uh, what he's saying is, you know, we have this message, but that God confirms this message. And the truth of the matter is, we still need to be experiencing answers to prayers and miracles today. They are one of the most powerful ways that you can convince someone of the message of Jesus. So we don't see as many as we probably should. I'm, I'm sure of it. We live in a country that is very scientific in nature and everybody's filled with unbelief and stuff. Uh, to give you an example, there's one city that Jesus came to and he's God in the flesh, right? And he says in that city he could do no miracles because of their unbelief. What? Jesus could not do a miracle because of their unbelief. I mean, these are some pretty hard-hearted people. Well, I, think, I thought he could do anything. Well, he can, and we certainly have been reading in the Old Testament that when God wants to kick butt in major ways, he just does it, and it doesn't matter what anybody believes. But the gospel that we respond to has to be mixed with faith. And when you mix it with faith, God shows up and does very, very cool things. So we live in a Western culture that is, by and large, filled with unbelief. Therefore, we don't see as many miracles. But I would still encourage you, when you're sharing with people uh, who aren't Christians and are, you know, I don't know, I don't really like this church thing, but they almost always come to you with a, uh, if you're a friend, we should be friends of them. You should make friends that are not Christian. They shouldn't be your core friends, but they should definitely make friends. If you can't win somebody to yourself, how do you expect to ever win them to Jesus? is really the bottom line. So you should be doing that. And we've been talking in our pastor's meetings about ways of encouraging, uh, ways for you guys to uh, engage with more people in your community, in your neighborhoods and stuff. We need to be really friendly people and make friends with people and connect with people. And, and, and we'll be talking more about that. But anyway, as you make friends with these people and they kind of keep you at arms, I've got some several non-Christian friends and they all <laughs> keep me... <laughs> an arm's distance. They like me, you know, but not too much. Uh, uh, but I was talking to one today, and uh, she has this thing that she's really concerned about today, and she, you know, was asking for some kind of luck, you know. And I said, well, God doesn't really do luck, but he, he answers the prayer of sincere people. So I prayed for her, and I'm asking God to show up and do something that blows her mind. And when he does that, it's going to be cool because she's going to know, I was just talking to this guy, this preacher, and all of a sudden, boom, the circumstance showed up. So now, is it possible that it won't show up? Yeah, but maybe God has a different plan for it some other time. I don't know. I was talking to God. I said, Lord, here's your chance. Here's your chance to sparkle. Here's your chance. I, I don't need it. I don't need you to do anything because I, I, I already believe. This lady doesn't believe. Do this for her. Rock her world. So I can't wait to hear in the next week. Hopefully something cool happens. So, but I encourage you to do something like that because at some point, all of this gets confirmed by the supernatural. God moves in supernatural ways and he still moves in supernatural ways to this very day. Again, we don't see as many dramatic because people are so hard-hearted and unbelieving, but even in the smallest ways, God can still get through to people. So when you have someone, you find out they've got a problem, let them know. Say, do you mind if I pray for you? If you can't, pray for him right then and there. That always freaks him out. It's pretty funny. Uh, or pray for him later and let him know when you see him again. Hey, man, I was praying for you last night. I'm asking God to turn that situation around, you know, that, whatever that thing that you needed. And when they start getting answers, it shocks them. 
and it's a way of God. God likes to show up and freak people out. He just does. He likes to do the supernatural, all right? All right, so then he goes on, continues. He says, now, it's not to angels that he has subjected the world to come. Again, he's still making this argument about which we are speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the angels and you crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. There's a, he actually quotes from several different places in the Bible. You notice what he says, but there's a place where someone has testified because they didn't have the reference of chapter or verse, that kind of thing. So they kind of refer it in very broad terms. Uh, anyway, in putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. He's talking about believers. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a while. He became man. But now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered, talking about Jesus, both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He's really talking about the lifting up of believers. Um, you know, uh, it's no small deal. I, I know we don't get it. I know I don't get it. I talk about it and I still don't really comprehend it. When we get to heaven, we are not low on the totem pole. We are way the heck up there because he is the Christ, God in the flesh, and because of his redemptive power and what he did on that cross and what he does through faith in your hearts, he calls you brothers and sisters with him. We are joint heirs, the Bible says. You know what it means to be an heir? It's like, you know, if Bill Gates kicks over wouldn't you like to be an heir? Right? You know, even if it's just part of an heir, I only get a few billion, you know, whatever the deal is. But we are joint heirs with Christ. I know it's hard to understand because we still have to deal with life. And we still get colds and the flu and, the flu and vomit. <laughs> still have to take showers or we stink. And I mean, all the stuff that we have to do in life. But at some point, there has something, it still hasn't hit us. And I remember Paul writing, he says, I pray that the eyes of your understanding would be open so you could see what has happened. We are actually seated in heavenly places with Christ, even though we're still here. There's no small deal who you are. You are a child of God. Don't let the devil try to make you think that you're not. And why that's important is when you start to understand who you are, it really starts to change the way you act. It really does. I've used this analogy before. I only have like three analogies. But anyway, uh, you know, the, these movies, I love these movies where someone is like a real loser or something, or the girl, she looks like the cat just dragged, dragged her off the street, you know, or something. And it turns out that she's actually the heir to the throne of England or something. You know, you see these little movies and stuff like that. And it's amazing. When she starts to comprehend, or who he starts to comprehend who he is, he's the king of, you know, whatever, Zabbok stands somewhere. In the movie, it's interesting to watch the transformation. 
they start to look different. They start to carry themselves different. They start to understand who they are and the position that they have. And it's just fun to watch, you know, how they go from an ugly duckling into this incredible, beautiful, stunning thing because they are royalty. All right? And royalty is a whole different deal. I guarantee you, if you got called by someone from some country in Europe, England, or whatever, and you are, in fact, oh, we missed this, you are now the Duke of whatever, you're going to walk different tomorrow. I'm just telling you, it's a whole different ballgame. The status changes. You change. That's why it's important to try and, 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 as Paul said, pray that, you know, God, help me see what's happening here. It's easy to feel like we're just defeated, nobodies, and we're nothing, and God has to put up with us because, you know, he said he would. You know, everybody can be saved. He wasn't really counting on me, but I guess I get in, you know, that kind of thing. That's not who we are. We've been dramatically transformed by the grace of God, and as a result, as men and women, daughters and sons of God, we are now joint heirs with Christ. It is a big, stinking deal. I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters, he says. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. Again, he's quoting from the Old Testament. Um, and again, and then he quotes from another Old Testament. I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here I am and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. Who is that? That is the devil. So that's what Jesus, the devil had the power of hell and death over mankind. Why? Because we gave it to him. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God, they became slaves to sin. And to this day, all of mankind is still slaves to sin until they're born again in Christ. And then we get set free from that. And now we're walking with Christ. So he does that. And he says, and to free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death, which we don't have anymore. The reality is we should be walking in fear of it. Now, I have a fear of death in the fact that I don't want to die, uh, or actually I just don't want to suffer. <laughs> it's, it's not the dying that bothers me. <laughs> it's the pain uh, that could precede it. So hopefully I go out, you know, just a quick, and I'm gone. So anyway, who knows? For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants, referring to Jews now. For this reason, he had to make, he had to be like them, fully human in every way. See, that's why it messes with people. You say, was, was he half man and, and half God, part man, part God? The crazy, he was 100% man and 100% God. You say, how's that possible? I don't know. I don't even know why my car starts when I switch the switch. You know, you know, God is big. He's got it all figured out, but that's who he was, and that's who he is. In every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. Why the reference to a high priest? Again, he's writing to Jewish believers. For them, the high priest is the one who does atonement for the sins of the people. Okay? So we don't go around thinking Jesus in terms of a high priest, because that's we don't even think of those kind of terms. But to them it means it's, it's significant because Jesus takes care of the sins of the people. Uh, so he, he's a high priest in the service of God that he might make atonement or take care of, uh, bring forgiveness for the sins of the people. 
Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. That's the beautiful thing. Oftentimes, you know, <laughs> you know, there's days where you, you feel like God has no idea what you're going through. He actually does. He literally does. He has suffered. He was tempted. He was abused. He was neglected. He, all these things. He knows exactly the feeling and has compassion. So therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus. And now this is where he really starts. He's really focusing. He wasn't just an angel. He was God in the flesh. Um, all these prophecies that we heard from our ancestors and all these prophets, all these centuries, all talk about this Messiah. He's not an angel. He is God, God in the flesh. We now are brought into the kingdom of God as joint heirs with Christ. He calls us brothers and sisters. So the point of all of this is fix your thoughts on Jesus. Why is this a challenge for them? Because they're still Jewish Christians and they were still, to a large degree, still dependent on the law of Moses. It's, everything they did was all to you know, acknowledge the law of Moses and obey all these rules and rituals you know, because that kind of what made them right before God and what he's really starting to say, no, what makes you right before God is Jesus. It's the same thing that makes us, who are not Jews, right before God. Okay? Um, so keep your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. So now he starts talking about Moses. So he's compared to angels before, now he's going to start comparing Jesus to Moses. Why do we care? Quite frankly, we don't. <laughs> I don't. But they did, because they're Jewish and Moses was a, is a big stinking deal in the Jewish faith, the law of Moses. Moses gave him all these commandments. So he starts comparing him to Moses. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house is, has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was a faithful servant. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house. He's quoting from the Old Testament again bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the son over God's house, and we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. You know, the whole thing about, we call Jesus the son of God, it's, uh, it, it's, it's just not a son in the sense that we would think. It's... You can you really get the sense, oftentimes when they're talking about Jesus and the Christ and all that stuff, they're using terminology just to help us understand because the reality is it's way above our pay grade to comprehend. It would be like us trying to explain the weather to an ant. <laughs> right? If we became an ant, we have the power to become an ant, and we get to the ant, and we start to explain to ants, you know, about life and weather and you know, and what to do, and you know, you're gonna have to use ant analogies at some point because they're not gonna get it. All right, so anyway, now, uh, verse seven. So, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, quoting again from the Old Testament, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness 
where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. Now, we are reading about this now on Sunday mornings, talking about the significant events of the Old Testament. We're talking about the Jewish people. They come out of Egypt, 430 years of slavery. God does miracles we'd pay big money to see. And through it all, they were as stubborn as they could be. They would never mix anything with faith. The second Moses, Moses is gone for 40 days. He comes back down. They're dancing around a cow, a golden cow. And they're saying, this is the God that did all these miracles. I mean, how do you in 40 days go from the glory of God to worshiping a cow? These people were frustrating to a level, and, and it gets worse. It keeps on getting worse. They belly belly ache about everything. Every time they're hungry, we should go back to Egypt. Every time they got thirsty, why did we leave Egypt? Every time something happened, oh, I wish we were back in Egypt. I mean, oh, man. We're going to read. I think we'll read some stuff I skipped. But at one point, God says, let me kill them all. (laughs) And so he said, I I have had it with these people. Let me just wipe them out. And I'll start with a, we'll start with you and we'll create a new nation. Which again, see, time is nothing to God. Now it took them however many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years to go from Joseph and, you know, the 12 brothers to this bunch of people. That's nothing to God. God actually suggests, these people are making me crazy. Let's wipe them all out. We'll start with you. You have some kids. We'll start over again. It'll be, you know. And Moses pleads with God not to do that. <laughs> Good thing I wouldn't, Moses. Say, yeah, wipe them all out. Let's start over again. These, these, these people bite. All right? So anyway, so he's talking. He's warning. Don't, God warns the Jewish people later, and he's bringing the warning to us. Don't harden your hearts, as they did during this 40-year period. Verse 10, that's why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray. And they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Now, specifically speaking of entering the promised land, the land of Canaan, he finally has it and he gets so frustrated. He says, all right, none of y'all getting in. So what should have been a 10-day journey, I don't know how many days, it was nothing to, to walk from where Egypt to, into the promised land. 40 years they stay out in the desert. Just going around and around and around. That's why I tell you people, you think you can outweigh God? You're delusional. He just wait for you to keel over. It's nothing to him. You know, he just waited for all to die. And he just kept going. Well, it was uh, anyone, I forget what the, like 20 years and younger were okay, but anything over. And, and that's what he did. He waited and uh, they all keeled over, and finally, they went into the promised land with a couple of some of the older ones that were good guys. So he says, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Why? Because that can happen. Again, I keep making this argument against these thinking that it can't happen. I, I don't know how, man, a whole lot of Bible makes no sense to these super grace people. I don't know what they're, what they're thinking. So he says, don't let it happen to you. If it happened to them, it could happen to you. 
and they saw cooler miracles than you ever saw, right? So he says, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And trust me, it is deceitful. The thing about sin is it convinces you it's not a sin. It's not. There's nothing wrong with it. It's fine. Uh, and, and one of the best analogies I see of it of all the time are people who get caught up in affairs because they deal so much with, with married couples. And, uh, you know, there are the guys who get caught up in affairs a while and they write, or they get it. I was wrong. I shouldn't have done it. And they try to save the marriage. But there's a whole bunch of them that they, they're just convinced there's nothing wrong with this. There's nothing wrong. And they defend it intensely. Even uh, professing Christians who are convinced that, that it's even God's will that I go cheat on my wife. Really? Where do you get that from? Well, they're just deceived. It becomes deceitful. I was dealing with someone today in the very same situation. And they become delusional. And I've said to more than one of these people, you are, in fact, delusional. They don't like me when I say that. But, uh, you know, but it is deceitful. And again, be careful. He's saying be careful. And I've said this to you. I'll keep saying it to you. Don't ever think you're above any of these things. Given the right circumstances, any one of us are capable of anything. Anything. List the horrendous act. Any of us in this room are capable of it, given the right circumstances. That's why we pray, lead us not into those circumstances. I don't want to be tested in these circumstances. Mark, would you ever run over somebody with your car? I wouldn't think so, but I'd rather not find out. All right? Would you ever cheat on your wife? I don't think so, but Lord, keep me away from any opportunity. I don't want to find out. I don't want to be in these situations. Jesus warned the apostles, his disciples, pray that you don't fall into temptation. What do you think that means? Pray that I don't get into these situations. Because given the right circumstances, any of us can do anything. And it is deceitful. It'll lie to you. It'll make a lie seem like the truth. Now, eventually the light comes on. And by then, the grief and the regret, and, and there's still hope, you know. No matter how jacked up you are or what awful thing you've done, and maybe you've done some of it, maybe you did run over your neighbor, I don't know, whatever. At some point, can you still come back and get right with God? Yes, you can. But that's a painful journey, man. You know, how about we avoid that stuff in the first place? You know, why lose your family because you make some stupid decision that you thought was... Your emotions get caught up in it. It's deceitful. I'm telling you, it is, don't think it can't happen to you. And he says, what we ought to do is remember what happened to those people, realize it could happen to us, and encourage one another. Watch out for each other. You're supposed to be kind of watching each other's back. I can't do it. I don't know a lot of your names, all right? I'm, I'm not sure what my kids are called anymore. You know, so, so, you know, I can't be that close to all of you, but you can be close to each other. And as, as you make friends in the church and you guys hang out, go to each other's homes and stuff like that, create these relationships, watch out for each other. And enough that you should be able to call each other on stuff. You see somebody acting weird or you see a guy, one of your buddies, a Christian buddy in the church, acting inappropriately towards another woman, you call him on it. Hey, 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 what are you doing? You know, and we need to be able to challenge each other. You see someone being really cruel to something or somebody and we should be able to call each other on that stuff. And... Uh, because nobody likes being called out, but we need to do it. 
And we need to encourage each other. We've come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end, just as it has been said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Talk about these people out in the wilderness. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And it was, it's, it's a big deal. What happened for them was like, holy cow, what did they get to see? The miracles. And the whole time they were led around was by a big column during the day, a big cloud. It just hung there, and they would follow it during the, and at night it would turn into a big blaze of flame. I mean, that's impressive. All the, and none of it meant anything to them. They'd wake up every morning and there's food on the ground. They didn't even have to go to a festival. They'd pick it up, cook it. When they got hungry for meat, quail would come and they just grab the quail. You have to shoot them. You know, just pick them, cook a quail, you know. Life is so good, miraculously good. They are in a bad place where they can't get water. Boom, God causes water to come out of nowhere. And all of it meant nothing to them. They refused to believe. These are people who saw stuff that you and I will never see. And look where they wound up. Now that's the point of what he's trying to say. Who are these people? These weren't just everyday regular guys who, you know, worked at the paper mill and never really saw a miracle. So, you know, we, these are people who saw some serious stuff and they got all jacked up. We're not the ones they, that Moses led out of Egypt. And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? So even though they came out of Egypt, saw all these miracles, look where they wound up. And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. They just would not believe. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did. I mean, it was in a different way. Of course, we're, we're, you know, we get the gospel through Jesus, but they have pretty good news when Moses comes and says, hey, we're getting out of here. <laughs> That's pretty good news, right? Proclaimed to them. Um, but the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now, we who have believed enter that rest, just as God said, I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Yet, his works have been finished since the creation of the world. All right, now we're going to get into the weeds here. And I only got six minutes. So, you know what? We're just going to end early because I don't want to start this because we're going we're gonna to... What he's about to do is try to explain the Sabbath because there are still observant Jews observing the Sabbath. And what he's really trying to say is, you know, there's a different Sabbath the kind of Sabbath we're supposed to enter is not that day where you don't work. And as Christians, we, don't, we are not obliged to observe the Sabbath. We're just not. We don't have it. Uh, Christian tradition is, you know, don't work on Sunday and stuff, but the Sabbath is literally Saturday. And, uh, and there's no big penalty if you go mow your lawn on a Sunday afternoon. I mean, it's not the same uh, for us. Uh, but what, he's, what he tries to, to establish the fact is basically this. It says that God entered his rest what the Bible never says is that he, he stopped resting. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? 
It's like he did all this creative work, and now he's rest, and for all implications, he's still resting, you know? And he even told those who, uh, after, after they entered the promised land, that they needed to enter his rest. I don't think they got it. There's a spiritual, there's a place of freedom. You know what I'm talking about? When you came to Christ, you felt this peace over you that you never felt before? You know what you just did? You entered his rest. You have now entered the eternal Sabbath that God is experiencing. So in a way, we are observant Jews in the sense that we are observing the rest. We are part of that rest, that eternal rest that comes by faith. So to make that clear to him, he's got to jump through all these hoops explaining the Sabbath and this, that, and the other. And I don't want to start that right now. And I'm in charge. So we're going we're to quit five minutes early. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and your truth. Help us to learn from it. Help us to uh, grow in our faith uh, and to be careful about our faith. Help us not to be as uh, Jude wrote, as as Peter Peter wrote, and now this writer of Hebrews wrote, warning people who don't pay attention to their faith. Help us to be careful. Help us always to be vigilant uh, on top of things and to live in such a way that we can continue to be blessed and that we might continue to walk in that rest, that wonderful peace, that wonderful blessed Sabbath that we have through faith in Jesus Christ. For that, we thank you. Amen. All right. See you guys next Wednesday. Next Wednesday, last Wednesday, then we're out for the summer, and the pastor said, praise the Lord. All right. See ya. (laughs)